Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode 93 of the Practicology Podcast. So good to have you with us today. And so good to have a guest contributor today. Nathan Pratt is from Windsor, Southern Ontario, right up against the United States border. And Nathan helps out in the Bible teaching in his local church in Windsor and in other local churches in the area as well. And we're honored to have him with us today. Welcome, Nathan. Hi, Matthew. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here to contribute in a little way to a podcast that has been a blessing to me. So thanks for having me. Our pleasure. And our regular listeners will know that last week we dealt with a Bible interpretation issue. Mike led us through the issue of what to do when you find the Bible culturally embarrassing. That was a great episode, taking some principles from the jealousy offering of Numbers chapters 5. Not a passage you hear taught every day. But today, we do want to talk more about reading and interpreting Scripture in our everyday reading. So we're dealing with a little more basic but equally important issues today. That's why we've called it basic Bible hermeneutics. But that immediately raises a question for some of our listeners, Nathan. How can we use the word basic and hermeneutic in the same sentence, seeing as many people are likely unfamiliar with what the word hermeneutic even means? So help us out with that word first of all. Yeah, so we all have a hermeneutic, even if you don't understand what that word means. We all... Uh, perhaps have presuppositions or or a pair of glasses, as it were, that we wear when we read the Word of God. So what what does hermeneutics really mean? Um, It it is the science of Bible interpretation. Hermeneutics is really the the principles that we use um, to guide and govern our study of the Word of God. That's good. And I think that answer shows us that we are all using hermeneutics when we read and interpret the Bible, whether we knew it or not. But, of course, when we come to Scripture, we don't just want to interpret it in an academic sense. We want to drink it in. We want to apply it and enjoy it. This is why I love your subtitle for the episode, Basic Bible Hermeneutics, Principles and Fundamentals for Studying and Savoring the Word of God. Yeah, you know, we're not not just wanting to become educated, right? We want to become edified. And, you know, the Bible in itself isn't the ultimate end for our study. You might somebody might ask the question, why study the Bible? And many people may give different answers, and, and there may be many good answers, but the first one that comes to my mind is Philippians 3, verse 10, and those precious words at the beginning of that verse, that I may know him. And so that's why that's why I study the Bible. I, I want to know the Bible, yes, but it's through the study of the Word of God that I, I come to know my God, that I come to have and, and deepen my relationship with my Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. And so today, I have five simple principles that I want to share with our listeners, and uh, nothing that I'm presenting today is new. A lot of what I'll be sharing with you has been taught to me and, and modeled to me by men in my own local assembly over the years, men who maybe n- didn't even know what the word hermeneutics meant, but they simply and faithfully presented and, and taught the Word of God. And also men that I might have not known personally, but who've been mentors to me through literature. So I am sharing today what has been a blessing to me. I trust that it will be an encouragement to all of our listeners. And so we're going to begin with our first basic or our first principle for Bible study, and that is the priority of prayer before we begin our study. Mm-hmm. Now to my shame, this is this is something that hasn't marked my study life over the years, and 
And I'm just kind of now realizing how important and vital prayer is to Bible study. Why? Why is prayer vital to Bible study? Well, the fact is the Bible is a spiritual book. Uh It is God's word. And as such, I need to ask God for help in understanding his word. And someone who really woke me up to the importance of prayer before studying the Bible is is a pastor from New England named Nate Pickowitz. He wrote a very helpful little book called How to Eat Your Bible, and that's kind of playing off those verses in the Word of God that's that liken the Word of God to, to food, uh, to honey, to something that we, we consume. And he answers this question by saying, quote, approaching Bible study with prayer places our trust in the author of the Bible and asks him to give us spiritual insight, end quote. And he ends up listing five different things that we should ask the Lord for in prayer. And I'm going to share these five with you. Once again, these are not uh, coming specifically from me, but these are five things to ask for in prayer that our brother Nate Pickowitz has shared in his very helpful book, and I want to share with you today. So what should we pray for when sitting down to study God's Word? Well, first of all, we should pray for understanding. While there may be much that we may be able to figure out on our own, we must remember that the Bible is a spiritual book. God is the one who can enlighten our hearts. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 18, and quote, make wise the simple, Psalm 19, verse 7. And so through the ministry of the Holy Spirit, God grants spiritual understanding. Secondly, we should pray for wisdom. Wisdom is the right application of knowledge. It's taken what you have learned and putting it to good and proper use. Scripture tells us that we should specifically pray for wisdom. James James writes, quote, But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given him, James 1 and 5. So we should pray for understanding. We should pray for wisdom to rightly use what we understand. And then we should pray for desire. I've prayed this often because, you know, there are days where, sadly, I don't feel like studying the Word of God. Mm-hmm. And in fact, you know, we're encouraged by David, who understood his need of having a heart that would desire God's Word. When he prayed in Psalm 119, verse 36, quote, Incline my heart to your testimonies, because there are days where my heart is longing for other things and not for the word of God. And so I need God to give me a holy desire for his word. And what thrills my heart is that this is a prayer that greatly pleases the Lord when we ask him to give us a heart that loves his word. And believe me when I tell you that he will honor that kind of prayer. Number four, we should pray for enjoyment. Psalm 1 verse 2 notes that a person is blessed whose, quote, delight is in the law of the Lord. And so God's desire is for our joy and delight to be in his revealed word. And maybe you wouldn't classify yourself as a reader. Maybe your idea of fun hasn't historically been sitting down in, in a private, quiet place and spending time in the Bible. But God delights to make our delight his word. And if we ask him to fill our souls with joy, and thrill our hearts as we read and study his word, he will. And finally, and perhaps most importantly, we should pray for change, that our study of the word of God would change us. We need the truth of scripture to soak and saturate our souls, to to pierce and permeate every inch of our being, 
You know, in his high priestly prayer, Jesus specifically prayed to the Father for his disciples. And of the many things he prayed, he, he prayed, quote, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth, John 17, verse 17. Jesus Christ, it's growing in personal holiness. So we understand Jesus' prayer to be for God to change the disciples from the inside out using his word and by renewing our minds with the scriptures. That's my first basic, my first point, the priority of praying before we begin our study. Well, I think that's a very practical piece of advice for our readers right off the start. That's what we're about on the Practicology Podcast. And this is practical, specific things we can pray for to help us in our study. And let me just pick up on that last one about praying that the Lord will change us. I'm reminded of those words, Lord, preserve us from being a people who love to learn but hate to change. And uh, I think I get that quotation from Matt Smethurst. And, well, that reminds me of a book by him, too. You mentioned the book by Nate Pickowitz. Well, Matt Smethurst has a book called Before You Open Your Bible, Nine Heart mm -hmm. Postures for Approaching God's Word. I actually haven't got through the whole thing yet, but I, his first one is Approach Your Bible Prayerfully. And he says, I am convinced that a prayerless approach to God's Word is a major reason for the low-level dissatisfaction that hums beneath the surface of our lives. That's very interesting to me. And just talking about how prayer and reading go together uh, reminds me of a little poem taught to us by another great Bible teacher, Manitoba's very own Mike Knox. He waxed eloquent back in episode 51, I think it was. Uh, listeners might remember that poem he taught us. Before I read, I pray. Before I pray, I read. If in between I meditate, my heart knows what to say. The two go together. And uh, what you said there is a great principle number one in our basic Bible hermeneutic, the priority of prayer. What's number two, Nathan? All right, so we our first basic was the priority of prayer before we begin our study. And now we're going to look at a second basic, which I've called the preliminary work that sets up our study. And here we're really wanting to get the lay of the land, uh, an overhead flyby view of the passage in question. We want to be attentive and make some surface-level observations that could aid us as we, we descend to take a closer, a closer look. And so this is really just kind of having a notepad beside us and, and writing down, what are, we, what are we noticing at first glance? What's sticking out, at, sticking out to us uh, during our first couple readings? And so some things we might want to note would be things like important or repeated words. Are there, are there key theological terms that kind of serve like the meat to the sandwich that is the passage that we're studying, uh, words that the passage or even the verse really center around. And then repeated words, uh, words that are being mentioned over and over again. Is the writer trying to emphasize a specific truth? We're going to want to take note of that. Uh, secondly, the people and places that are mentioned. Who are the people that the author is writing to? Are there names for us to write down? The study of names can be a very fruitful endeavor when we're studying the Word of God. So who, who is being mentioned? And, and what are some of the places that are being mentioned? The geography, the setting. And then we also want to maybe note the style of writing. Is it poetic? Is it prophetic literature? Is it a, a parable? Is there a conversation taking place in the passage? Note, note the style of writing. And so there's power and, and help that is given when we read the passage over and over again because we're going to notice things in maybe our fourth, 
fifth, sixth reading of the section that we maybe wouldn't catch in our first couple readings. Yeah, it just reminds me that one of the most basic elements of Bible study is Bible reading and reading and rereading and rereading in large chunks at once if we're able because I'm more equipped to understand and apply an individual passage if I better understand the big picture, the big picture and the big message of the book in the first place. And so some have compared it to trying to find a, a melody, a melody line in the book. Or um, mm -hmm. sometimes you get a clue from the top and tail approach, something that's said at the beginning of the book and then there again at the end of the book. I think First Timothy is an example of that. Sometimes there's purpose statements in the book or, or you mentioned the, the repeated words, you know, Jude, you get the word kept. Um, Ecclesiastes yes. under the sun. First Thessalonians, you get the concepts of encouragement and the, and the Lord's return. And so these are just things to jot down uh, in your writing. And as you see those big pictures more clearly, you will get a better sense of how to apply the details. So I appreciate those three points. Nathan has just shared with us the style of writing. That's important. The Gospels and, uh, you know, the book of Second Kings and one of Paul's epistles. It's a different style. Uh, people and places mentioned. And then important or repeated words and themes. That's all part of the preliminary work. Very good, Nathan. Keep going. And yeah, so we can think of that as really the flyby over the forest. But number point number three, now we're wanting to really descend and we're wanting to, to look at those trees in particular, aren't we? And so point number three is going to be the principles of interpretation that help to guide and guard our study. And this is where we're really getting into the meat of hermeneutics. Now, two key verses that can really prepare our hearts for this stage. Second Peter chapter 1 verses 20 to 21 tells us that quote, but know this first of all, that no prophecy of scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever made by the by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. And then 2 Timothy 3, verse 16, all scripture is inspired by God, or literally, God breathed. Well, why do I read those verses? Well, when we think of the word interpretation, we need to remember that we're not saying that we decide what it means, but we are seeking to know the mind of God. We are studying with a view of knowing what he is saying and what he means. So how can we do that? Well, here are some steps that can help us. First of all, we are to have an interpretive mindset that is to be one of exegesis, not eisegesis. What does that mean? Well, the idea behind exegesis is, is, is pulling out the meaning from the text. We're, we're going to extract the meaning from it. Eisegesis has to do with reading something into the text that is not there. And so we want to have a proper interpretive mindset. We, we want to come to the text understanding that there's a meaning there. There's an intent from the Holy Spirit through the author. And I need to humbly submit to that fact with an attitude that I'm wanting to pull out of the text, not force something into it. Yeah, when it comes to actually preaching the word, which of course at times is going to be a, a product of our Bible study uh, for some people. I remember someone saying, like, I guess I 
got this from Mike. I'm not sure where he picked it up, but don't just don't don't ask the question, what can I say about this text? Yes. But ask the question, what does it say? What does the text actually say? What does the text want me to say about the text versus, you know, what what of my own ideas can I stuff into the text to make it say what I want it to? Yes, and then this this mindset really then sets us up to properly engage with the text. It, it, it kind of helps to form the scalpel that we'll use to begin dissecting the text and investigating it. And so that's where we move in, into hermeneutics. And the first component that we're to consider is the importance of context. Now, this is a massive principle that we're to keep in mind when studying the Word of God. Mm-hmm. Um, it can be very tempting, and, and I've, I've struggled with it at times where uh, there's been this this temptation to isolate a verse, take it out of context, and and use it as a proof text. But we're not supposed to do that. We're to consider the literary context. What is surrounding that verse will help guide and govern our study of that verse. The surrounding context will many times help us to understand the the meaning of that verse. And, and I want to use just, just a little example here. Um, let's think of a mom and dad who are talking in one room and their kids are listening in the other room. And the kids can only make out a few words as they're trying to listen to their parents from afar. At some point throughout the conversation, the kids hear the words we and Disney World. That's all they hear. That's all that they can make out from the conversation that is happening in the other room. And they immediately get excited and begin to celebrate. And they say to one another, yes, we're, we're going to Disney World. Did you hear mom and dad? We're going to Disney World. And then the dad comes around the corner and says, Disney World? We're not going to Disney World. Whatever gave you that idea? And the kids reply, but we heard you say, we and Disney World. <laughs> we assume that that meant we're going. And the dad replies, yes, we said those words. But did you listen to the whole conversation? Apparently so not. Do you, do you see why? No, not at all. But you see why context matters. We can fall into the danger of doing that when studying our Bibles. We, we can isolate a verse, pull it out of its intended context, and read a meaning into it that it was never intended to have. That reference to parents speaking about Disney World, that wasn't something that actually happened in your experience with your parents. No, no, <laughs> not at all. But it was the first thing that came to my mind. So maybe I'm all right. I'm reaching back for some sort of painful memory. <laughs> you know, we also want to make sure when we're, we're dealing with the text that we don't over-spiritualize it, trying to give it some deeper meaning than what's there. I'm, I, I'm reminded of the words of, of Abner Chow when he, when he says in relation to this that, quote, this may seem noble, uh, but it actually damages the true meaning and robs the reader from God's intended spiritual value. And in the end, we simply do not have the authority or license to create new spiritual meanings from the Bible, end quote. Um, and so really, the main idea there is that, you know, know the context, read the whole passage, read the entire letter, so we get the big picture. Good. And another thing that we want to avoid when it comes to this is that we, we, we don't want to over-personalize. Now, I need to be very careful here when I speak about this. The Word of God speaks into our circumstances and situations. Praise God that it does. But we need to make sure that, as a first step, we're not reading our personal situation directly into the text. 
We're, we're meant to apply God's word, to bring it to bear on our lives. But we're never permitted to make ourselves the focus of the Bible. And so when I come to the word of God, my first instinct shouldn't be, well, what does this mean to me? Or how does this make me feel? While it's good to seek comfort from the Lord in the midst of these difficult situations, it's most important that we be faithful and not read something into the text that isn't there. And so that really brings us to a very important point. We need to understand the Bible literally. And this means that we're reading the and interpreting the Bible in its normal, plain sense. Are we are reading a narrative? Let's let's try and try and understand the components of that narrative. If we're reading a, a poetic text, let's try to understand it as such. Um, but sometimes there can be some misconceptions when when people speak of reading the Bible literally. We need to remember that a literal reading does take into account things like metaphors and, and figurative speech, images and, and, and symbols. We use metaphors and, and figurative speech often in our conversations with one another, and yet we both understand what the other one means as we're using these figures of speech. You know, Jesus, a perfect example, Jesus Christ would say, I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved, John 10 verse 9. The Lord Jesus would do this often. He would liken himself onto physical, tangible things that you and I are familiar with, that we handle in our daily life, in an effort to teach us spiritual truths. That was so gracious and kind of him to do that, to use things that we're familiar with, to teach us truths about himself. But but we all know that he's not a door. The right, Lord so Jesus he, is not a door. So he 100% meant what he said, but he meant it in a figurative sense. And that's a, that's a good example of that. Yeah, so we're under what we're doing is understanding the verse in its literal sense according to the natural laws of language. Yeah. And that really leads us into the next point. We're we're to understand the text grammatically. We need to focus on grammar when we're studying. Does this mean that I need to memorize all the uses of the aorist tense in New Testament Greek? <laughs> no. There are lots of uh free, fantastic tools that can help us do that. Um what a blessing. But no, it does not mean you need to know every single little component of grammar. But it's just a reminder to us that hu the human language has rules. It has laws. And we're meant to learn them in order to follow them and understand the true meaning of, of the ideas being expressed. And so it's no different with Bible study. You know, God wants us to look at the words, the phrases, the sentences, the paragraphs. Um, why is this important? Well, the fact is the Holy Spirit didn't just casually throw words in a blender and pour them out. Each word in God's word has been placed with precision, power, and purpose. And because of that fact, grammar should be precious to us in studying the, the word of God. Every word is inspired, and so we should pay attention to grammar as we're studying. And then next, we should have a hermeneutic that is historical. If we were to understand the context of what is written in the Bible, we need to understand the the passage that we're studying um, as maybe our original hearers would. We need to maybe try to attempt to put ourselves in the shoes of those who would have been receiving this letter or this passage at this time. So we need to take a little bit of time to learn about what was going on in those Bible times. Who's the author? Who's the author writing to? What were some key events that were going on during the time of this writing? What's the background of, of what's being discussed. You know, th this this reveals to me that there can be a great danger that we can fall into 
and, and that is that of reading and studying the Bible with our 21st century Western lens. So we need to remember that God's word is to inform and influence our cultural and societal views and not the other way around. Yeah, Nathan, something you're sort of subtly getting at here is the the debate in Bible interpretation. Um, do we take this literal, grammatical, historical approach to the text, or do we take an allegorical method to interpreting the scriptures? And, I mean, you've, you've pointed out very importantly, we need to understand what the original author intended when he wrote that text. Now, sometimes... Sometimes the text may mean more than the original author understood, but it can never contradict what the original author intended. And I mean, one of the errors in the allegorical approach is that people are more focused on looking for sort of hidden, obscure meanings mm. in the text and failing to appreciate what the text is actually saying, right? Yes. And my friends who are listening today, I, I want you to know very simply that the Bible is not some mystic onion with... 20-something different layers to it. It's a tremendous blessing to know that just right at face value, you can understand what is there right on the page. And a great danger with spiritualizing and allegorizing the Word of God, especially when it comes to eschatology, the study of, of end times, um, is that oftentimes we're bringing our boxes to the Word of God and we're wanting the Word of God to fit into those boxes instead of just letting the Word of God say what it says. And you brought up a very important point about the fact that, you know, the, the word of God is, is progressive revelation. And there may, might have been things that the original author of the text wasn't aware of coming down, down the pipe. But this kind of leads us into our final point here, and that is the significance and the importance of, of cross-referencing in the word of God. Okay, let me just... You know, in the end... Let me just hold you there for a minute before you get into that, because I just want to come back to what you said. What you've just been saying is excellent. I mean, someone might say, well, hey, isn't there allegory in the scripture? Think of Galatians chapter 4, referring to Genesis. Mm -hmm. And and yes, there is. And there's an example where the scripture has actually made it clear that this is an allegory, and it's an interpreted for us. Uh, yes, there is still typical teaching. There's still value in typological teaching, looking at types from the books of Exodus or Leviticus, for example. But again, the New Testament is giving us clues on how to interpret those types. And I think that's very key as well. So we're not just making this up according to a uh, humanly devised rubric that we're then forcing onto the scripture. And, and that's your point. Yes. And, and you know, the, the literal historical grammatical method of interpreting the Bible does take into account uh, typology and allegorization. And, and the beautiful thing about it, especially in a book like um, The Revelation, is that it will actually, in, in and of itself, explain those types, explain that figurative language to us. And a quote that has been helpful for me uh, throughout these many years has been by Warren Wearsby. He would often say, the Bible is the best expositor of the Bible. Mm -hmm. The Bible helps us understand the Bible. And so this final point of cross-referencing is absolutely vital. What does that mean? Well, it means that there are verses that help explain other verses. Praise God. And, and, and we live in a very blessed day where many of our Bibles will have a concordance or a cross-reference system in one of the margins that will actually show you where to find other verses in the Bible that have similar words or ideas expressed. 
And there's also a ton of free Bible software out there where you can search up all the places where a specific word or phrase or idea is located. And so maybe you're coming to an area of the Bible that is maybe a little hard to understand. There's some some figurative language, there's some pictures, but there are other areas of the Bible that can help to fill in the gaps or other areas of the Bible that can help explain that specific passage in question. So we're wanting to cross-reference. We're wanting to use the Bible to help explain the part of the Bible that we're studying. Very good. All right. So Nathan has given us the priority of prayer before we begin our study, the preliminary work that sets up our study where we're noticing the big picture, the big picture of the book. Thirdly, some principles of interpretation, specific things about Bible hermeneutics to help us understand it in its context. Just help us make this a little more personal now. What do you have in mind? Yeah. So, so, so fourthly, I, I would like us to consider the practice of meditation and memorization that is to accompany our study. This is, this is very exciting to me because I would like us to consider the wonderful fact that our studying doesn't have to just stay at our desk. We can take what we've been studying and incorporate it into our entire day. So what does that look like practically in regards to Bible study? Well, it might look like me taking the passage that I'm studying and, and reading it over a few times on my coffee break at work. Think of how many times we check our phones in a day. How, how about taking a screenshot of the passage you're studying and, and setting it as a lock screen on your phone? When I go out for a walk, I'll, I'll listen to the passage that I'm studying on an audio Bible app or, or when I'm driving to work. I might read it over a few times before I go to bed or, or have my Bible open to it at home so that I could read a few verses from the passage every time I walk by my desk. You see what we're doing? We're allowing God the opportunity to hide his word in our hearts all throughout the day. We're not restricting studying to only a certain time and, and a place. That's really important, but we don't have to just leave it there. The biblical meditation takes what you're studying and weaves it through your entire day. It allows the section you're studying to stick. And as we allow God to weave his word throughout our entire day, we're also memorizing the passage in question through our frequent exposure to it. And then finally, our, our, our last principle that I would like us to consider today is, is the practical outcome that should arise out of our study. Now, this may sound like a very simple point, but it's vital. God's word is to be applied. It's to impact and inform not only our heads, but our hearts and our hands as well. Is there a command to be obeyed? Is there something there that God wants me to do, wants me to incorporate into my life? Maybe there isn't a command to be obeyed. But secondly, we can ask the question, is there a principle for me to live by? Is there a principle for me to live by? And thirdly, is there a doctrine for me to know? You might be dealing with a specific area of the Bible where maybe God is making a promise to national Israel and you're looking at it and saying, well, there, there's not a command here for me and, and maybe not a principle for me to live by, but it's important that you know that doctrine. It's important that you can maybe make a distinct. You can maybe distinguish between something that has been promised to the nation of Israel versus something that is specifically for the church. And so, there are doctrines, there are truths that the Lord wants us to maybe not apply or to obey, but to simply know. And those questions, once again, are not exhaustive, but those are just three questions that we can ask as we look at applying what we're studying. 
Yeah, those are helpful, and it is a, a necessary step. I mean, I think when we're maybe when we're reading through the Psalms, we can put ourselves in David's shoes, or actually, maybe we already find ourselves in that exact situation. Mm-hmm. And that Psalm can be a prayer of our own heart. Uh, maybe we read through the Book of Esther, and we recognize the need for courage in uh, facing a difficult situation and asking the people of God to, to, to fast and to pray for us. And that's another example of just making it personal, right? Yes. When it comes to the study of the Word of God and, and, and our love for it, you know, I just want to end this with just two verses, both from David, Psalm 19, verse 10. In relation to God's word, he, he would say, More to be desired are they than gold? Yes, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. And then Psalm 119, verse 103. This is, this is one of my favorite verses. How sweet are your words to my taste? Mm. Sweeter than honey to my mouth. I want that, Matthew. I, I want God's word to be sweeter to me than, than anything else. And, and it's my hope that... Um, this little podcast here today with these simple basics and principles that I've been sharing will equip and and encourage each of us to uh, love the Word of God, to study it, but not only to study it, but to savor it. That's great. And that psalm that you just quoted at the end brings us back to, you know, one of the things that we're to pray for is that we would enjoy the Word. And you just mentioned, you know, your own desire that that would be a greater reality in your heart and the struggles that we all face with that sometimes. So that's great. And uh, I, I know these have been a, a help to you and to younger believers in your vicinity. And we're praying that they'll be a help to our listeners today. Thanks, everyone. Thanks so much for tuning in. Thank you, Nathan, for sharing that with us. Thank you. It was a treat to be here and to talk about something near and dear to my heart. It is. I hope that this will be an encouragement to those listening today. Thank you. May the Lord bless you all. We hope to have you back again next week at the Practicology Podcasts.